We now begin the 15th chapter of Masechus Yivamos. In total, there are 16 chapters, so near the end. And these last two chapters um, deal with the halachas of testimony regarding the death of the husband. And of course, that would have ramifications for Yibam. Um, it also has ramifications regarding the woman's ability to remarry um, or be left trapped you know, in this unsitu- unknown situation of whether her husband's alive or dead, um, or unconfirmed death, which would leave her as what's called an aguna. She's sort of stuck. Now, we've said back in the 10th parak already that the rabbi said that in this scenario where there's a even a single witness who testifies that the husband died, that single witness is believed to allow the woman to remarry. Now, that's highly extraordinary. Normally, the rules are that it requires two kosher witnesses to establish a halachic fact, and a single witness really is not sufficient. And the stakes, of course, are very high here because we're talking about the prohibition of Aishas Ish, adultery, and which carries with it a death penalty, so that's, that's no joke, of course. But nevertheless, the rabbis were lenient and predicated the, their ruling that a single witness is believed, first of all, on the fact that there's a psychological assessment that the Chazal made, which is a person would not lie regarding something which ultimately will come out, the facts of which will come out. So, if there's a claim this husband died, well, sooner or later he's going to come back and looking for his wife and for his stuff, um, and then we'll realize that the testament was a lie. So the presumption is a person wouldn't lie in such a scenario. And that's coupled with a series of kanasos, of penalties, which are enumerated in the 10th parak, which basically make the stakes very high on the woman. That if she remarries and turns out her husband was still alive, she suffers a whole long slew of, of um, unpleasant consequences, um, and those being the case, we are going to be confident that she's going to take matters into her own hand to ascertain the truth to the best of her ability. And she's sort of, you know, taking responsibility with very high stakes that her husband indeed is no longer alive, allowing her to remarry. So based on those two points, that a person wouldn't lie and that's matter is ultimately going to come out, um, the facts will come out in the wash later on, and that the woman who's remarrying faces very severe consequences, she'll be very careful and certainly confident that her husband really is dead, we allow the woman to remarry based on the testimony of a single witness. Our Mishnah here, um, I don't know the next couple Mishnahs, want to discuss what happens if the witness in question, the one who's testifying that the husband died, is the woman herself. Now, of course, if the woman herself is testifying, it's not only highly extraordinary relying on a, a single witness, but also this witness is absolutely no gebedavar. She has, you know, a significant vested interest. This is, you know, she is getting remarried um, and perhaps collecting kasuba and all this kind of stuff. So really, she has lots of reasons to not be believed. The question is, can we rely on a woman to testify on her own husband's death to allow her to remarry? And uh, that's the topic of this particular Mishnah. So our Mishnah says, Sayam. If a woman traveled with her husband overseas, as usual, overseas, Medina Sayyam doesn't necessarily mean that. They could be anywhere that they travel to. La Medina Sayyam is sort of the equivalent of how we say in America, they went to Timbuktu. means just, you know, arbitrarily far away, out of sight, out of mind. Um, and the idea is that's the biggest chiddish, because the point is, if they went to Timbuktu, it's going to be very hard for the Bez and locally to ascertain whether he really died, because he's so far away. You know, he's not. he's much less likely to come back. But the point of remission will be that we still rely on her and we do believe her 
even if she claims that he died in Timbuktu, far away, um, provided that two conditions are met. And the two conditions the Mishnah says is, first of all, Shalom beino leveina. First of all, to the best of our knowledge, there was reasonably peaceful relations between him and her. There wasn't this, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, terrible, terrible um, enmity between the two of them. Um, in fact, the Gemara goes on to explain, we're not talking about, you know, that they yelled at each other and called each other names and even threw things at each other. That would not be a sufficient lack of shalom. We're talking about a scenario where the woman has already tried. She's like gone to Bezdin and essentially tried to get herself a get. Uh, maybe she even lied in Bezdin and so on. So the point is that she's already tried to get away from this husband. So at that point, we are suspicious of her claim. But if that didn't exist, and also there's shalom ba'olam. Shalom ba'olam means that the place to which they went um, was a relatively calm and safe place. If it was a war zone, um, the language of the Bartunur is Sha'at Cherum, which means it's a time of, you know, bedlam, uh, you know, chaos over there, which means not necessarily war, but if it's just, you know, we're talking about, I don't know what, Manila or, you know, whatever it is, you know, South Chicago or Church Johannesburg or something, which is a dangerous place, um, which would change the, 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 the assumptions. But if it wasn't the case, they went to a safe place, uh, and it was a safe time and place where they were, so then she's believed Tinase. She is permitted to remarry based on her testimony that her husband died, and that's sufficient for us. Not only that, but if she claimed simply Mace Bali that her husband died, Tisiabem will even let her do Yibum, meaning we'll allow, if she claims her husband died and the husband had no children, then we'll have her brother-in-law marry her. That's even a bigger chiddush because that involves a second Isra Dorais, and not just the Isra Dorais of Eishas Ish, of, married, of adultery, of you know someone marrying a married woman perhaps, um, but also the issue of the separate prohibition of marrying your brother's wife, which is a separate Israel to itself. Um, we'll, we will allow, allow them to get married. Of course, in addition, she's sort of dragging the husband, like her, their brother-in-law, into things um, and sort of getting him to, remit, to marry her, which again would potentially require like a higher standard because, you know, he's being dragged into things um, ostensibly, you know, what would it be, of course, against the will if he knew that she really was lying and her husband, her bro- his brother was still alive. And yet we'd let Yibam happen. So we totally believe her. Now, the mission will say, if both those criteria are not met, meaning if it's Shalom ben maybe they had a fine relationship, but the place where they went was a war zone or the equivalent, so then we won't believe her. And the reason why is because we're concerned that either A, you know, he went out one morning in this, you know, this dangerous place. He never came back. She waited three months, or whatever the story is, and he just never showed back. So she assumes that, well, yeah, of course, because he, you know, it's, it's a war zone out there and he died. So the point is that she won't confirm that she didn't get firsthand knowledge that he died. She's making an assumption. And she's coming and testifying based on that assumption. To her, it's obvious he died because it's a war zone and dangerous people die over there. Um, but that's not good enough, of course. So the point is, if it's a dangerous place, we're concerned that she made an assumption which isn't true. Alternatively, if um, even if she, let's say, saw him get shot, um, even then she sees him like lying shot and gasping and you know in a pool of blood, and she testifies he died because to her in her heart of in her heart of hearts she believes he died. But the problem is, if it's a war zone, so obviously if that happens, she's going to run for cover. And uh, to save herself, and she won't stick around long enough to like really confirm he's dead, dead. And maybe he wasn't dead, dead. Maybe he was just severely injured, 
and you know six months later he'll be recovered in the local Timbuktu hospital and come back. So the point is, if it's a dangerous place like that, for the reasons I just explained, we are we are um, we're circumspect that her testimony isn't isn't um, correct and accurate and based on certain assumptions, and therefore we would not believe her. Um, that would mean, just speaking it out, that if her testimony was, you know, we were in the hotel in Timbuktu, it happens to be a war zone out there, um, but just one morning we woke up, and you know, I woke up, but he didn't wake up, he was lying in his hotel bed, and he was, he was, you know, cold as ice, and um, I called the local doctors, and they confirmed he's dead, you know, he died, people die, that's what happened to him. So then she would be believed, because her claim isn't just Mace Bali, my husband died. But she's actually explaining her claim. The husband died in the hotel bed. And of course, that wouldn't implicate either of these kind of assumptions of her running for cover or just assuming he was, he died in some, you know, at the hands of some robbers or, you know, warlord somewhere or something. And therefore, she would be believed. Lumaisa. Similarly, says the Mishnah, Katata Beinola if they went to a perfectly peaceable place, they went to Hawaii on vacation, but we knew before they left that there was a significant um, fight between them. Again, that means that she had already attempted to get divorced or effect divorce from him by going to Bezdin and, you know, lying about it. So we know that she wants out. So then, um, if she comes and claims her husband died when they were on vacation abroad, she is not believed. So that's not sufficient for us because we have mitigating factors which would suggest why she shouldn't be believed. Now, Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda says, even that's not enough for us. La olam Even if it was peace time and peaceful relations, she comes in and says her husband died. That's not enough. Unless she shows up and she's crying and her clothing is torn because that would indicate, you know, that's the proper behavior, quote-unquote, for a woman who's lost her husband. Um, but if not, then we should be suspicious that the whole thing's a big fraud. But to that, the rabbis reject. And they say, no. Amrulo, achazuva achazu tinase. It doesn't matter. We're not, we're not gonna determine whether or not she can remarry based on her effect and how she's behaving. Because, you know, what that would essentially do is say, listen, you would, you would give the ability for, you know, the, the tricky, savvy, conniving women um, to play the part and be able to get a divorce, whereas the simpleton women, you know, the naive women, uh, wouldn't be able to get divorced. Excuse me, wouldn't be able to get remarried. So, no, that's not how this uh, co- the law works. The law is based on those legal assumptions that I set forth before about people not lying and the stakes being very high for her, and therefore, assuming that the conditions are met, about peace in her and him, and also in peacetime, so then we will... Um, regardless of if she looks the parts or not in terms of a woman who's you know lost her husband, it doesn't matter. We believe her and we let her remarry. And indeed, that is the halacha. That, uh, not like like the Tanakama, like the Chachamim, we do believe her as a single witness, provided, again, their peacetime and peace between him and her.